innovators and investors out there, you should be looking for solutions that enable not just virtual care via telemedicine, but other ways to make uh, delivery of care by you know, clinicians available in patient homes. You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. So what I love about innovators is their very unique ability to reject the status quo and to mold the world around them into their own image of how things should be. Uh, Carrie and I try to do this all the time in the practice of law. It's one of our core values. And we work with a lot of innovators that are doing this as well. Um, You know, when these innovators invent something, we, uh, you know, not just in the context of healthcare, but um, but, you know, in anything that we experience, um, when they invent something, we, we often smack ourselves in the foreheads and we say, why didn't I think of that? You know, how many millions of times did we lug around suitcases until somebody finally popped on some wheels, right? Um, these are the kinds of innovations that we love to see in the marketplace where um, people just accepted how things were and the innovators came around and said, no, this can be better. This can be better. So today I want to focus specifically on healthcare, of course, that's what we do, and get into some obvious solutions um, in, in carry in my view uh, that I think it's time that we embrace. And when I say we, I'm not talking about the innovators. We talk with them every day. They're already on board. Um, by we, I mean the policymakers and the payers and even consumers, some of whom you know, just still haven't embraced the future of healthcare um, as, as we see it. So um, I've got a whole list of these in my head. Um, I will be talking about more of them in future segments, but today we're gonna talk about two of these and I'm really excited. Yeah, so Rebecca, I love this topic. Um, There are many, many obvious solutions out there in healthcare. I know patients could themselves name some obvious solutions. Um, You're right, the innovators are squarely on board. Um, You know, there's resistance though, because there are, you know, there's a regulatory infrastructure that doesn't necessarily support innovation. And sometimes uh, large entities like big commercial health plans or hospitals and health systems just aren't flexible and nimble enough to be able to embrace them as quickly as we would like. So, so yeah, I'm eager to talk about these obvious solutions. Okay, great. So the first thing I want to talk about, and we've seen uh, some news about this uh, recently, at least through the spring, uh, and that is that people prefer to get their care at home. They want to get their packages at home. They want to get their food delivery at home. They also want to get their health care at home. They don't want to go in an office and sit in line. Um, they don't want to go into a hospital if they don't need to. Um, they want it now and they want it without, you know, having to pack all the kids in the car. Um, we're seeing massive mergers and acquisitions happen in the home care market, even some IPOs this year. Um, a lot of the action has been, however, in sort of on the private side. Um, we're seeing a lot of new partnerships after years of payers, including the government, underfunding and undervaluing home care. Um, and I think consumers are, are done with that. Um, uh, Amazon Care is a good example of uh, a mix of virtual and in, of a model that offers a mix of virtual and in-person care. It's been rolled out in a very limited way to their employees. I think in Washington, it might be expanding to the East Coast soon. Um, but they are experimenting with not just 
uh, you know, having doctors beamed into uh, patients' homes, but actually having a clinician arrive at a home and take care of uh, folks there. Um, and, and they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think that there were dividends. They didn't think that this would reduce costs and improve, um, you know, improve the lives of their employees. Um, Amazon uh, has teamed up with a consortium of other healthcare organizations that are interested in moving care home. In fact, the coalition is called Moving Health Home. Um, it includes Signify Health and Ascension uh, and a couple of others. Um, they're going to be advocating with the goal of changing policies to expand at-home care. Um, I think any of us, if we really thought about how we would rather receive our health care, we would all say, yeah, we'd like to be in our house where we're most, co most comfortable. And it's not just when we're really, really ill and we're homebound. It's, it's in any case. If your child is sick, you want to hold them and put them in a, a, you know, put them in their jammies and you want the doctor to come by and see how they are, not pile them in the car and put them in a waiting room. And the same is for, you know, parents and, and loved ones, um, you know, at home is where we're comfortable and it's at home that we would rather receive our care. And we're really seeing a lot of movement toward making that happen. Yeah. So care at home should have been a no-brainer before the pandemic. It is absolutely a no-brainer after the pandemic because we have proven that it can happen and it needs to happen. We talked last week about you know uh, care, healthcare as, an, as a national security issue, uh, and, I, and I do firmly believe that's the case. So now we've seen that uh, you know, care delivery at home uh, is of value and can happen. I'm thinking that this at-home care these at-home care models, though, also address the concerns that a lot of physicians have raised about virtual care and telehealth. Right? They want to be they want to be sure that virtual care services are not a replacement for face-to-face -face visits, like in-person visits, and. This model really reflects that, right? It, I think it envisions really incorporating a hybrid of in-person, at-home care, telehealth and virtual services, and then as needed, in-office visits or you know, acute, episode, acute care uh, settings where, where that's needed. I'm really excited to see the Moving Health Home um, Coalition. I do think that we're seeing, you know, some some payers, and we're seeing Medicare uh, in particular talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, care at home. Uh, you know, Medicare has put out the hospital at home program, uh, and that's that's getting some interesting traction. Um, but a hundred percent, this is something that that seems really obvious that we need to be working pretty hard to get out there. Yeah, I mean, the technology is there. The 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 payment needs to needs to catch up. So um, I would say for innovators and investors out there, you should be looking for solutions that enable not just virtual care via telemedicine, but other ways to make uh, delivery of care by you know clinicians available in patient homes. So uh, innovations to optimize you know time spent seeing patients as opposed to time in transit. That's a real issue. Um, you know mobile phlebotomy and lab services, for instance. There are some things that can't be done through a screen, and they'll need to be actually delivered in the home. Remote monitoring, which we'll talk about in a second. Devices that will you know help with medication management and actually remotely dispense medications to folks. Um, virtual patient care solutions for things that are traditionally restricted to in-person. So we represent a number of telephysical therapy companies, right? You wouldn't think you'd be able to do PT virtually, but 
but you can. Um, and as Carrie mentioned, even acute care, um, acute care home, home tools and technologies. Um, and for the companies and coalitions that are already in this space and driving this forward, you know, we're going to need to continue to put pressure on policymakers to expand you know, among other things, services covered in a home-based setting, uh, and to really rethink, uh, to rethink how we pay for this, that in a way that's commensurate, again, with the value that it's providing. So, you know, I would hope that that folks would be moving toward a less fee-for-service option and, and more of a value-based option as far as that goes. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Carrie for number two, because she's the expert um on you know the 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 benefits of of the kind of um real-time uh monitoring that uh, that we're starting to see proliferate in the market yeah thanks rebecca so this is this is a very obvious uh healthcare solution that some people would say policy is now supporting but many people would say uh, policy has a way to go in supporting and and that's remote patient monitoring so you know, we absolutely have the ability to provide ongoing, consistent monitoring of individuals who, who need monitoring, right? If they have hypertension, we can readily uh, monitor their blood pressure on a regular basis, and we can identify problems as, you know, before, before we can identify abnormalities that are signaling that a problem might occur and address them before it actually occurs. We can monitor, you know, implantable um, heart devices um, as well as sort of external heart monitoring devices for continuous look at those patients who may have congestive heart failure, failure or some other condition. We, you know, we do have reimbursement opportunities now for uh, remote patient monitoring. The margin, the way, the way that the reimbursement uh, is set up. Um, is, is such that the margins for those who are providing remote patient monitoring services are really pretty slender. Uh, so that's sort of thing number one. We want to make sure that the incentive is appropriate um, and enough to actually encourage uh, physicians and other kinds of providers to implement remote patient monitoring programs for their patients. Uh, the second issue really is that some of the requirements around reimbursement currently are making it too onerous for patients and physicians to really um, successfully implement. So for example, right now there's a requirement that 16 days worth of uh, data from a connected peripheral device must be transmitted by a patient during a 30-day period in order for, for reimbursement for that device to occur. That's kind of silly, right? I mean, it, it may be, and it, and it absolutely is the case that that amount of monitoring is not really necessary um, to, to adequately be able to review patient data and identify trends and intervene in problems. So, you know, personally, I'd really like to see our policymakers acknowledge that and put more flexibility in the hands of uh, of the medical providers to decide how much monitoring per month or how many data transmissions per month are really appropriate for a given patient. Um, you know, we've got, Rebecca, the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule proposed rule that will be coming out for 2022, will be coming out in uh, July at some point. Um, I would really encourage people to uh, submit comments to that proposed rule um, as they apply to remote patient monitoring and other virtual care services. 
Um, I would also suggest that they even, you know, contact their local legislators. Um, it is absolutely the case that that sometimes legislators can, uh, you know, definitely encourage some of the regulators um, in the direction that they take healthcare policy. So, um, so that's another one that I'm that I'm hoping we'll make some progress on. Yeah, and and I think you know the resistance to really embracing. Uh, paying for value for remote monitoring is is so steeped in this um, idea of fee for service. So it's hard to innovate outside of it, right? They're thinking, well, the more monitoring, the more money. And that's true. It's on a fee for service basis. But the theory behind this is that if you're catching things in a low acuity environment, people don't end up in the hospital or they don't end up sicker or they don't, you know, they don't, um, it takes a shorter amount of time for them to get better because they're adhering to their treatment protocol um, or they're, uh, you know, making sure that they catch things early. And that ultimately is meant to reduce costs. And oh, by the way, healthier people are happier people and, you know, we want better outcomes. So, you know, the, the point here being, we have, you know, people have tiptoed into the water here in RPM and, and not because the government sort of said, you know, let's open the floodgates, but because people who knew this obvious truth that we're talking about today pushed and pushed and pushed and continue to do so. And that's why we have what what the news is calling a $30 billion industry explosion overnight. Well, this is years of folks talking about the real value here. And um, so now I'm hoping that uh, um, all the folks in this industry will um, be collecting lots of data and be, you know, proving this out so that this isn't just sort of a, um, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of pundits talking about the value of this, but rather something that really gets embraced on a broad scale. So, um, so like I said, there's a, a ton of these that I'd love to talk about. Um, we're going to wrap up for today. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what else belongs on this list. Tell us on social. We're on all the platforms and we're listening. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, everyone.